Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The race is on, and the Red Bull driver saga is finally over, with Sergio Perez confirmed as Max Verstappen's teammate in 2020, and Alex Albon becoming test and reserve driver. But is it the right decision, and what can we expect from Sergio Perez? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer these questions and more is Scott Mitchell. Well, Scott, hello. I would say this is one last sting in the tail for 2020, but it's been such a busy day with a Red Bull announcement some significant news about the Mercedes team ownership, which we'll discuss later. So loads going on. Yeah, it's been um, it's almost been like one final hurrah, hasn't it, for for what has been a, a quite crazy year. Um, and we've had some big uh, we had some big stories and and lots to deal with. And what are we a week away from Christmas now, and <laughs> still got our nose to the grind. So it's good fun. We've had obviously the Red Bull news is something that we've been anticipating all week, and then. Then it became clear that uh, Mercedes uh, sort of had their own um, had their own news coming today, which we learned about uh, early in the morning. And obviously, while I've sort of, I think while I was in a call between Toto Wolff, Daimler chief Ola Kalenius, and Ineos chairman Jim Ratcliffe, you were um, swanning around having a virtual lunch with Mattia Bonotto. Yeah, not quite the usual thing because every year there's a, a Christmas lunch at Marinello that journalists attend, which you went to last year, if memory serves. I did. And, uh, it's probably my turn this year. But yeah, we did it virtually this time. I can't really talk about what was talked about. It's nothing seismic in terms of announcements or anything. But Can you talk about the quality of the food at a virtual Christmas lunch? Well, they actually, they very kindly sent us some and I've not opened my box yet, but I'm going to have a look at that later. That The food, it's a, it's all about a, a taste of Italian cuisine. They want to make sure us <laughs> deprived people in Britain, uh, Britain get the opportunity to have. So that's very kind of them. But yeah, there'll be some stuff uh, in the coming days on therace.com. And don't forget the hyphen website to read about, <laughs> about that. <laughs> I've got to get my catchphrase in one more time. But yeah, Red Bull Sergio Perez, is this the right decision? Uh, yeah, I think it has to be on the um, on the basis of what we saw on track in 2020 and what Rebel wants to achieve in 2021. It's a signal uh, of intent uh, that that they aren't just going to stick with their uh, what's the best way to put it their traditional method of only using drivers that have come through uh, Toro Rosso or AlphaTauri as it is now, but uh, simply persevering with that even if you haven't got the drivers up to the doing the job, isn't the right way to go about it when you're a front-running Formula 1 team with with, with huge uh, huge targets. So Albon hasn't been good enough in the, in the second car in, in 2020. 
Red Bull's clearly not been convinced that it's uh, that that Alex is strong final round or, or decent final round in, in Abu Dhabi where he did actually play the, the, the role of Verstappen wingman pretty well uh, was enough to con- was enough to guarantee that 2021 would be more like that and not just a repeat of the, the problems and at the same time obviously Perez has just been building this incredible case for him to be selected because he's had the best year of his career and become a Grand Prix winner so yeah on, on, on the balance of it I... I, don't, I really don't see how you can argue that uh, Albon should have been kept on. Yeah, well, just look at qualifying performance. Our adjusted averages, which try and factor in only the cases where the comparison is appropriate, have Albon half a second on average down. Now, people criticise Valtteri Bottas. On average, he's within a tenth of Hamilton over the season. So Albon is is five times that, that deficit. Slightly more than five times, in fact. So you can't really defend the position. It's one of the best four seats in Formula One he's in, so the standards are sky high. Clearly, Red Bull was very reluctant to do this, but Perez just created such a tantalising opportunity to put in a an utterly proven quantity, so I guess they, they had to do it. He's the first driver signed from outside the Red Bull scheme since it would be Mark Webber. Yeah, 2007. So he's the first non-junior driver to race for the team since... 2013 when obviously Mark left but he is the first one drafted in since what uh, Weber would have come across from Williams wouldn't he for 2007 yeah he'd been at the team and it's Jaguar form then a bit at Williams and then back to to Red Bull so it's a, it's a big shift one I've been reluctant to do but yeah just just the obvious thing to do before we move on to Perez we should just have a moment to think about Alden's future he is test and reserve driver so what can he make of that opportunity? Still in the fold, still got a paid job with one of the best teams in Formula One. So that isn't necessarily a bad thing. He's not completely cast adrift, but that's a, that's a difficult place to really impress, isn't it? It is, yeah. It, you're basically being asked to... It's, it's, like a, it's like a footballer, for example, trying to prove their worth when all they're doing is being kept on the, the bench during the actual games. There's only so much you can do behind the scenes. So I think this will be a big test of Albon's mentality and... I think his character and his personality will be the, the the key difference between whether or not he can actually find a way back in at Red Bull. Um, because if you look at someone like Pierre Gasly, his predecessor, who, like Albon, was demoted, uh, but Pierre was demoted mid-season and sent back to Toro Rosso, so he was racing, at least. And he's gone from strength to strength back at the junior team, obviously Alpha Tauri this year. Um, he's even won a Grand Prix uh, at Monza, and yet he's still not in... Uh, and yet he's still not in contention to for for a Red Bull racing seat. So if you can't <laughs> if you can't force yourself back into the frame at the senior team, having won a Grand Prix, the first time anyone's won for that team since Sebastian Vettel won in its Toro Rosso days in two thousand and eight, how on earth is Albon going to force his way back when he's on the sidelines? So the difference between the two, and this is what I've meant about personality and character, is that I feel like Red Bull never really had faith in. Gasly and don't really want to have to rely on him in the senior team again so there's maybe a bit more of a sort of inherent doubt over Gasly than there was or there 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 is over Albon I'm not sure because Gasly I think has shown a bit more on track than Albon has so it is difficult I I think his best opportunity or the the likeliest chance of him getting back into Formula 1 is going to be either Gasly moving on in 2022 and freeing up a seat in AlphaTauri or Yuki Tsunoda being promoted to replace Perez in 2022 and therefore another seat opening up at AlphaTauri. I think that is Albon's route back into Formula 1. I don't think it will be Rebel Racing. 
yeah, that makes perfect sense. Red Bull aren't necessarily keen on going back with drivers as well. So whether that opportunity is ever there. Well, in the senior team. Not, yeah, not, not necessarily I mean, yeah. in the junior team because obviously they yeah. keep going back to their drivers, don't they, of late? <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's, it's a common a common theme. But the, the big disadvantage he's got is while he can still make an impression on Red Bull in his role, it's very, very difficult to make an impression on the wider world. People have linked Pierre Gasly to Renault and if he was available, there'd be quite a few teams that would at least have him on the shortlist, wouldn't they, if they had an opening. So Albin can't do that. So he's just got to get his head down. And Gasly had a, had a good attitude because he... He wanted to prove Red Bull wrong. And that's the right attitude to have, even if you say there were some reasons why Red Bull were not necessarily wrong to do it. But Albon's got to take that same thing, but channel it into a constructive thing. Think, I'm going to be the best test driver I can be, make be the most positive, active participant. And then, of course, see how Perez gets on. That's going to be the good counterpoint. And it's going to be a tough one for Perez. This really, this is his first top team chance. Now, yes, I know he signed for McLaren, to replace Lewis Hamilton in 2013 when Hamilton moved to Mercedes. When he signed, he was joining a top team, but the 2013 McLaren was not a top car, so that didn't quite pan out as hoped. So it wasn't a top team opportunity, and in the end, it didn't it didn't work for him. So this is the first proper chance. I've got a lot of time for Sergio Perez. Very, very good, very accomplished driver, as we discussed in that recent Top 10 Drivers podcast. But he has got a hell of a challenge on his hands, hasn't he? Yeah, because um, Verstappen is not only incredibly quick but he's also got the Red Bull team built around him and he's got the car designed to his needs because he's been the number one driver there for the last few years so everything is geared towards a max challenge which is one of the reasons why Gasly and Albon failed to make their mark Um, I I think Perez will cope with it better than those two just because I think he's a higher level of driver coming into the team than, than those two were that's not to say I think Perez is quicker than both of them I think certainly Gasly's got a claim to be the faster of the two and probably long-term Gasly's a driver with more potential or has the potential to reach a level higher than Perez is now. But in terms of the situation they're in when they join Red Bull, Gasly had one year and a few races of F1 experience under his belt um, and got into a team that had a slightly tricky car or not maybe not tricky, but just a slightly slower car at the start of 2019. And it, it wasn't even, reg- it wasn't even really regularly second best or, fighting for second best so he was punished a lot more for being off the pace compared to Verstappen and he never he never Gasly never got to drive that car when it was at its best towards the end of the year so I I think that's a difficult situation for a quick driver to go into when you're sort of struggling a bit you need to get your head around it you need to have some smooth weekends but the car's not quick enough for you to be that far off the pace and not be swallowed up by the pack which is why we saw Gasly being lapped by Verstappen in a couple of races and stuff like this. And there was also a bit of a doubt over his mentality, whether he had the uh, the mental capacity to actually understand what the causes were of his problem and, and find a solution, which I just meant, I think, everything combined to m- make him quite limited in, in his ability to get himself out of the rut he found himself in. And with Albon, I think it's relatively similar in terms of car being tricky this year and putting him in difficult positions and he's just not quite quick enough to get the most out of it but I also think he's just a fractionally lower level of driver than Gasly which then meant that Albon just wasn't quick enough to to, to make the most of it and be the driver that Ribble needed and Perez isn't either of those things he he comes in with a decade of F1 experience um, a, a really 
wide range of of skills. He he is a quick driver, albeit not the not a one lap specialist. So is he going to be challenging Verstappen in qualifying? No, he's not. Is he going to be closer than the other two? Yeah, I think he is. I, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be. And if there is a challenge in a, in, in, adapt, in adapting, I think Perez has the experience, the confidence, and the understanding of different parts of the process of being a driver and working around problems to actually stand a chance at sort of solving the issues that that come with being the number two driver. Yeah, that experience helps enormously. He's a very assured kind of character now, Perez. He knows he's established in Formula One. And the main challenge, I think, will be taking the right attitude into it. Because like any team going into this situation, Perez won't be sitting there today thinking, yeah, I'll go in and I'll be a good support act. And I'll be two or three tenths behind and I'll back him up nicely. That's not that's not how Formula One drivers work. Any driver going into that will think, yeah, I'm going to get the better of Verstappen. And that's fine because that can that can drive you on. It's driven Bottas on quite well for all the, criti- the criticism he gets. He's still a, a very effective Grand Prix driver. But Perez just has to make sure that he balances it up correctly and isn't causing too much aggravation in the team, should we say. Because it is possible sometimes for drivers to go in and do that. Perez also will remember from his time with, with McLaren that he didn't entirely endear himself to the engineering team early on in the season. He did turn it around towards the end, but by then it was a little bit too late. So that was an important learning experience. But I think Perez's attitude will be pretty much on the money and he will see it as a chance to prove conclusively how how good he is and he has this this quality in races I, I compared him to be to, to Alan Prost in the top 10 one not necessarily in terms of all-round quality because Prost is one of the absolute all-time greats but just that capacity to string everything together in races and not just manage the tyres but also he can do those long stints but he doesn't get stuck in races we also talked about Lance Stroll doing that he makes the key passes he clears traffic even in Abu Dhabi he cleared the the six back marker cars in about seven and a half laps minimizing the the race time loss all these things are really important so if he can basically sit in behind Verstappen and be be a regular factor in the front group even if he's the fourth car in the front group and qualify solidly which he's perfectly capable of doing he's got he's got a good qualifying record just not a stellar one then he can really, really do the job. And obviously, he's got to prove that he's uh, the driver for the next few years for Red Bull. That's the big question, because now almost it turns on a sixpence, doesn't it? It, it goes from yeah, Sergio Perez, Red Bull have got to get him. And now it's like, well, he's been announced for a few hours now. So is he going to justify his place? Who's going to replace him in 2022? That is the nature of this. It's elite sport. It's it's Formula One. The pressure is always on, isn't it? Plus, it's only a one-year deal. So he he, he quite literally has to, to justify his place and, and, and secure his future beyond 2021. But I think it's important for, you know, I, I think we've both tried to sort of explain this or put this across as clearly as, as we can. But it's worth reiterating the point that P- Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon are obviously very good drivers, capable of being very quick and very effective drivers when everything aligns for them but that doesn't mean that there's some kind of fundamental Red Bull problem or bias towards Verstappen or that they weren't in some way responsible for what happened to to them you can be a good driver and then still not get the most out of a certain situation and I just think that Gasly and Albon's and especially Albon's particular weaknesses were just exaggerated in that Red Bull environment particularly up against a teammate like Verstappen because it's worth remembering that with Albon he you know he wasn't 
he wasn't ever an, an absolute mega talent in the junior categories. You know, he was dropped by Red Bull in his first year of car racing back in what 2012. And while he's always been viewed by the likes of George Russell and Charles Leclerc as one of the most under, underrated drivers on the junior package, it was only when he got to F1 through a sort of quirk of circumstance because Red Bull ran out of drivers and then called him up for Toro Rosso last year. That was the only time he ever really looked F1 material, uh, which is why he deserved his Red Bull call up in the context of Gasly being dropped. And it's why he deserved a full season this year. But I just think we've seen in 2020 the limitation of of Alex as a, as a Grand Prix driver. And that limitation is that he's just not quite good enough to command one of the four best cars on the grid, which, you know, that's a pretty high bar to fall short of. I don't think he should be ashamed of it or anything like that. And I'm not trying to sort of kick him or make it out like he's terrible. It's just, this is elite sport. He occupies one of the very best cars and he just doesn't merit one. Yeah, it's it's a really tough ask. There's a human kind of desire to be generous in terms of your interpretation of people, but the standards are sky high and the drivers are not a passive participant in this. We always praise the people like Hamilton, like Verstappen, for that capacity to make the most of any situation. And that's what you've got to do. Because if you make the most of your situation, you keep your drive or you're in demand from other teams. So that that's the main challenge. And I hope Albon can, can come again. But yeah, I can't be, from a sporting perspective, too sympathetic to him, even though from a personal perspective, I imagine this is a hell of a kick in the teeth. I just hope he channels it into the right thing. And then Perez is going to be on the, the receiving end of being up against one of the toughest teammates in F1. So it's going to be a really interesting interesting battle next year. I'm quite confident in Perez, but I'm not expecting him to go in there and beat Verstappen, even if he probably is. I think he's there to be a really, really good top team number two, which he can be. That's not damning with faint praise. That's really, really hard to do. It's a really big ask. Yeah, I think he can be the um, he can be the he can be the driver that Red Bull has wanted Gasly and Albon to be, and that is Red Bull's Valtteri Bottas, isn't it? That that's the ideal situation is becoming um, is becoming such a good number two that you can never be dropped. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it'll be nice for Perez as well, because king of the midfield, he doesn't like being called that. I've called him that, and I've discussed it with him, but (laughs) he just is, not through being negative. But you look at his results, he's 14 6th places, 25 7th places, 17 8th places, 17 9th places, 19 10th places, 21 11th places. It's It's just the nature of the cars he's been in. But now he's in a car that can rack up relatively easily if he just hits his marks there's third fourth fifth places quite easily there and there'll be occasional wins hopefully to add to the one he got he got this year so I think I think he's going to do a decent job and I think this was absolutely the logical decision for Red Bull to to sign him even if it meant going outside his program should we quickly talk about Mercedes ownership changes there we now have three equal owners in this team Mercedes Jim Ratcliffe's Ineos, and Toto Wolff himself. So what is all this about? Well, the first, I'm going to start my answer of that, Ed, by posing you a a mathematical conundrum, which is how can 100% be split equally three ways? 33.3 recurring. It's a mathematical challenge, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. So I just wonder, so so one of those three parties must have, like, presumably 0.0000001% of a share more. Um... But no, what is what it is is that uh, the 
previous shareholding is slightly slightly confusing because I thought that Nicky Lauder's 10% went back to Mercedes, but it was characterised in the release that Mercedes had 60% shares and Toto had 30%. So I don't actually know exactly where that other 10% was um, before today. But now the shareholding structure is 33% each, basically, between Daimler, uh, Toto Wolf, and Ineos. Daimler's share is slashed from 60% to 33%, so nearly halved. And Toto's goes up by 3%. And then obviously Ineos comes in as a new investor. So yeah, it's uh, on the face of it, I can see, uh, I think the automatic response is to think, well, is this basically Daimler Mercedes paving the way for a soft exit? Basically, you know, halve the shareholding now, maybe reduce it to 10, 15% in a couple of years, and then slowly slink out of the uh the, you know the back door um in three or four years time i don't think it is i i think this is just ring fence in the works team's future because it's just going to play a really important part in mercedes transitioning from a loss making exercise for daimler and very very soon it's actually going to be a profit making exercise because i think i think after 2021 i think daimler's input financially is going to be zero and then it's going to be one of three parties benefiting equally from any profits that the team makes. And the team will start making profits because it earns an enormous amount of money through prize money and sponsorship. And as of next year, its budget is going to be about a third of what it's been up to now. So the the tiny cost that Daimler has to put in at the moment is very, very soon going to be replaced by a proper profit. And they're talking about it from a... The, perspective of being a franchise and in sporting terms that just means a long-lasting around forever entity competing in a sporting competition basically the opportunity for this Mercedes team to be like Ferrari and be around in F1 pretty much forever unless there is a properly properly strong reason for it not to have a works team represented on the grid. I think it probably also shows how positive the whole change in terms of F1's prize money and the cost cap, etc., trying to make it more sustainable and stable because it's been all over the place in recent years. That set of commercial agreements in 2013, not technically a Concord, but lots of bilateral agreements, was really problematic and lopsided. And it helped Mercedes, but even with all that help, it was still an expensive business. But now we're seeing this stability in teams. We're seeing, you know, Doralton Capital buying Williams. That wouldn't have happened without the cost cap. Who knows how those agreements affected this this change in, in terms of the ownership and whether Ineos wanted to become an active owner in it. And then you've got the, the investment recently in McLaren. These things have not happened in isolation. And I think that speaks well for the, the longer-term health of Formula 1 because we want sustainable teams. Ideally, we want 10 sustainable teams of similar size, and it's going to take quite a while. Mercedes is still going to be a big team because they've spent a huge amount over the years there's lots of capital expenditure locked into that team in terms of facilities, etc., that, that others have to catch up with. But over time, it can become more stable. But Toto Wolff staying on is important. So he's been talking about whether he stops being team principal. So as part of this, does he retain the team principal role for the next three years, or is that still a little bit vague? Yes, it's team principal and CEO for the next three years. But there is a mechanism, basically, after that for, for Toto to work out I think he, I can't remember the exact wording that they use, but he's basically got a 
he's he's basically got a function that he can uh, use to slot into a more executive role beyond that, which is what he sort of talked about this year. You know, be team principal um, for a bit longer, but there is a shelf life on in that role, and eventually, sort of moving into a more overarching role or a position that then facilitates a replacement does appeal to him. It's just not going to happen in the in the short term. And interesting to see Ineos improving its stake. Obviously, they came on board as a sponsor at the start of this year. This becomes part of their sporting portfolio, doesn't it? There's the Ineos Team UK America's Cup programme with Ben Ainsley involved with it. There's the cycling team Ineos, which is the ex-Team Sky cycling team. So all-conquering, very successful team there. So they've they've got a broad portfolio of sport. And they seem to be, from what I know of it, I can't claim to be very au fait with America's Cup. I know the, the absolute basics about that. But certainly in cycling relatively non-interventionalist in terms of the team they're they're officially the sponsor of that so I'm not quite sure exactly how the ownership side works out but they they've been quite collaborative with the existing team infrastructure etc so it seems like quite a nice organization to have investing in you yeah I think um I think the fact that they've got experience of other sort of elite sporting enterprises means that they they have a I think they have a good idea of of how it's best to leave the day-to-day operation to the people who know that sport best and basically ride the coattails of it because in a, in an F1 context, basically Ratcliffe and Ineos have just managed to negotiate a cut price way into part-owning the most successful team in Formula 1 history just at the moment where it's about to start churning out profits. So if the trade-off for having access to that is leave them alone so that they can keep winning everything... I'm pretty sure they'll take it. Yeah, bright news for the future of that team. There's loads to read about the Mercedes deal on the the race.com website. And do not forget the hyphen. Scott's been working away at that, and I'm sure there's more to come. In fact, there's loads to read. I haven't caught up with it all yet. There's the verdicts on the Perez-Alban decision. There's an analysis of the key races from Scott that led Red Bull to give up on And Matt Beer, mainly Matt Beer. Matt Beer, one of the the great uh, behind-the-scenes stars of of the race, who occasionally turns up on podcasts, but does sterling work. I've done a piece on how Perez will match up to Verstappen. There's a video on why Perez was chosen. There's there's loads to read there, huge amounts. And we're going to keep going strong over the winter as well, so there's going to be no let-up. Although I think the news probably for the next week or two has probably, uh, probably worn itself out now for 2020, but it's been... Yeah, one of those seasons, just constant, constant stories. It's been a joy to talk about. We will, of course, have another podcast. On Monday, we'll release our fan verdict. It's actually a video podcast. Some people say vodcast, but we went with video podcast. This is based on our YouTube community voting for various slightly slightly different kind of awards we've gone through. So myself, Scott, and Glenn Freeman will gather to talk about the results of that. And do stay tuned to the Race F1 podcast over the winter too. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Monday with more.